0: Welcome to the 10 Sports Podcast. I'm Patrick Murray with David Shealy. Tennessee loses 38-30 to Georgia State. The Vols have only lost five games at home to non-Power 5 Conference teams since 1926. This was the fifth one, a historic loss for Tennessee, and David, a historic win for Georgia State.
1: Yeah, this was the biggest win in that program's history. Georgia State, has they've had some good moments. They've, they've been to a couple bowl games. They've won a bowl game. But they've never beaten a team in a Power 5 conference. Uh, and, And we're talking about the SEC, right? I mean, it just means more. Well, this win means a lot more to Georgia State than some people may realize.
0: And to me, it comes down to typically when you have an SEC versus Sunbelt matchup, the SEC team dominates up front, or at least as the game wears on, by the end of the game, the SEC team is dominating up front and putting the Sunbelt team away. That didn't happen. In fact, it seemed like Tennessee was getting worse on the line of scrimmage as the game went on, and the stat to look at for that, Georgia State rushed for 213 yards, Tennessee rushed for 93, including negative two rushing yards in the second half.
1: Yeah, that w- Tennessee's efforts up front were very, I mean, I don't know how to put it other than it was just poor. Because when you look at what they were able to do up front and changing people around, because Pruitt was still working on his front five on the offensive line, you would think that in a positive light, those people would be fresh. And the Georgia State defensive line would be a little fatigued. And I think that we saw a lot of good runs today by Tennessee, but it just stopped at some point. They kind of stalled out. They ended up being one-dimensional by the end of the game, and that's not what you would expect in this matchup. There were a lot of things in this game that were very surprising, but up front, I think some people got what they expected, especially after Jeremy Pruitt was talking about defensive line being an elementary school in terms of progress, and he didn't know the offensive line starters. There were so many oars on on that first depth chart. There were a lot of things that may not have surprised some people, but still, it's a Sun belt school that you lost to really by two possessions when you take away that garbage time touchdown.
0: That's right. Tennessee went down and scored a touchdown on a few pass plays with like less than a minute left in the game. But really, it was it was a 38-23 game. That last drive meant nothing. And you were talking about the, uh, you know, Pruitt talking about the elementary school level of the defense a couple weeks ago, of the defensive line a couple weeks ago. We saw a lot of that with just an inability to line up properly and Pruitt had said on a lot of plays, we didn't even give ourselves a chance with the way that we were lined up. There was one play where Tennessee even had two defensive ends on the same side of the field. They were just not in the right position along the defensive line on a lot of those plays.
1: And then when you look at linebacker, Jeremy Banks ended up taking a lot of reps at linebacker today. He just moved to linebacker. Daniel Batuli not being there really hurt because when you don't have that guy in the center of the defense that's able to command and see things and, and know what's going on and, and move people around, it really hurts because I think that's something that he would have noticed. I think Henry Toa showed us he has some very good football instincts. I think Aubrey Solomon showed us that he is going to be a force up front Uh, but as a whole, the unit just did not look very solid. But we do have to give credit to Georgia State for having a game plan and and actually adjusting to running away from Solomon because at a point, anything near him was going to get wrapped up around the line.
0: Yeah, good point. Georgia State did do some things schematically that Tennessee – wasn't really prepared for or didn't really expect. Uh, Pruitt was talking about an insert run play where they were inserting the tight end between the guard and the center. Well, We'll have to go back and watch uh, watch some game tape on that and kind of break that down later on in the week. But basically, Pruitt was saying Georgia State did some things that they weren't expecting, and Tennessee took way too long to adjust and get things corrected to what they needed to do to stop those things.
1: Yeah, and again, Georgia State, was they were ready for this game. Daryl Taylor made it very clear he did not believe the defense was ready for this game. He did not believe they watched enough enough film. He didn't believe that they were truly mentally ready to take on Georgia State. And I think when he said that, he was saying their mindset was that, hey, this should be an easy win. It's almost like a preseason game. You should run through these guys pretty quickly. And that's just not what happened. This game meant everything to Georgia State. This was their bowl game. This was their national championship. This was whatever you want to put there. That's what this game meant to Georgia State. They were so prepared to win this game for the past two weeks. Every day in practice, Coach played Rocky Top throughout the entire practice for two straight weeks to get Georgia State ready to be in Neyland Stadium, and you saw how the the crowd did not affect them.
0: Yeah, yeah, they were totally ready for the atmosphere, not phased at all. 85,000 people was was the announced attendance at Neyland Stadium. And you mentioned it was Georgia State's national championship game, where it seemed like for Tennessee it was kind of their figure-it-out game. Let's throw as many people on the field as we can, go through a lot of rotations figure out who we might be able to play especially on the offensive line I don't know the exact number of guys that they played but they went through a lot of different rotations at one point they had both freshmen five stars out there at the tackle spots they rotated different guys around it seemed like the the most frequently used combination on the O line was Jameer Johnson at left tackle Trey Smith at left guard Brandon Kennedy at center Riley Locklear at right guard and then Marcus Tatum at right tackle but they shifted things around a lot and Pruitt, talking about it afterward, basically said they have a lot of guys that are pretty similar. They they don't really have guys that are standing out like, hey, I'm better than these other guys. They just have a bunch of guys that aren't playing very well right now, and they're throwing them all out there and trying to see what sticks.
1: I think that's the, the key word there. They're similar, but they're not that impressive right now. So it doesn't matter if they're similar or not. If they're not good, then they're just not they're not very good. Um, Trey Smith, it was good to see him back on the field with all the health issues that he's dealt with, and it was good to see Aubrey Solomon start on the defensive line. But back to that offensive line for a second, I think the communication when you rotate all these guys kind of gets thrown off. If you have guys who are feeling it and they're communicating well and they're seeing things from the way the defense lines up and they're they're able to tap each other and say, hey, this is what I'm looking at. I think we need to slant this way or do whatever they need to do. They can figure that out. But when you've got two freshmen out there, then all of a sudden it's, well – now what? Now what do we do? Because they may not understand what some of the older guys on the team will understand. So there's that's in my gut. I, I did have a bad feeling about this game because of those, those type of things. The offensive line starting lineup wasn't totally set because there was going to be a rotation. The defensive line rotation wasn't all the way set uh, in terms of starters. You're missing Daniel Batuli. Um, you've got inexperience in the secondary. And again, Georgia State was highly motivated, and they were well-prepared for this game. So when you take the preparedness and the, the steadiness of the lineup that Georgia State had, because they knew who their starters were all summer, there was no question about it, to where up until really this week, we still didn't know who was going to start for Tennessee. We, there was one point where Pruitt said, I know we have a starting quarterback, and that's the only guaranteed starter he really gave us. All of those things factor in to why Tennessee – Did not win this game. And then you add in the fact that Jared Garantano threw an interception. He fumbled the football. Tennessee's second play from scrimmage, I think, was a fumble on the opening drive. So there's so many things that happened in this game and then leading up to this game that just really, it made total sense why Georgia State won the game.
0: Yeah, it absolutely did. And Tennessee you've settled for some field goals, kicked three field goals, not something you want to do when you're an SEC team playing a Sunbelt team. Usually you should be able to finish in the red zone. And real quick, going back to the offensive line and the, the rotation and playing a lot of guys, Jim Chaney was talking about this towards the beginning of fall camp. He was asked, you know, how do you sort of balance between keeping the competition going on the O-line with being able to have the cohesiveness of having knowing who the five is like you were talking about being able to communicate and and know what the guy next to you is thinking and things like that and Chaney kind of said well there's a balance there that you have to figure out and if you're an offensive line guy an offensive line coach typically you're like hey I want to have my five as soon as I can you know, right at the start of the camp, I want to have my five. But if you're a defensive coach, you usually think, oh, man, you could change those guys around the day before the game. You could switch that guy over to right tackle. You can move this guy over to left guard. And so I don't know how much that's playing a role right now if Pruitt is, you know, having some input there and wanting to switch things around. But they've got to figure something out on that offensive line. But going back to the, to the game, what was the point for you where you said Georgia State is going to win this football game?
1: There were were actually a couple points where I thought Georgia State had a good chance. Georgia State found themselves up 7-0, but quickly it was a 14-point swing, and and Tennessee took the lead. But then Georgia State collected themselves, marched down the field, methodically tied the game up, and I said, oh, they're ready, and they want to win this game. They believe they can win this game. They stopped Tennessee right before halftime. They almost had an interception. It was called back due to a penalty but still forced an incompletion and forced a field goal from inside the five-yard line. And that was another point where I said, okay, George State is serious. They start the second half, another methodical drive, going down the field, taking the lead. And then all of a sudden, you see them getting turnovers, which was the biggest thing. They started the game off with a turnover, and you could easily say, hey, that was just rust. But then getting an interception, getting the strip sack, those are all things that make you say, okay, wait a minute, This team, who a lot of people really didn't know anything about, came ready to play. But I think the exact moment where it's like this game is over is Dan Ellington breaking ankles, making people miss, and walking into the end zone. And that was the moment where everyone says, this game is over, this is going to be an upset, and this is going to be national
0: news. Yeah, that made it 35-23, and I, too, at that point, said it's over. Georgia, Georgia State mm-hmm. has this game in the bag. They've won it, and talking about that play, but that was a heck of a run by Dan Ellington, made a couple of great juke moves, and we were talking about it earlier. Uh, Alante Taylor and uh, Sean Schamberger were a little bit shaken up at the, on that play, and they were both just lying on the ground, and it almost looked like we both said, They were just lying there because they were just in despair of knowing that they had lost to Georgia State, but it turned out they both just collided when when, um, Ellington juked them out of their shoes, pretty much.
1: Yeah, and you know, Dan Ellington was Georgia State's leading rusher last year. He has very reliable legs, but we saw today that he likes to use his arm first because he made a lot of clutch throws. We saw him escape the pocket a couple times. There were a couple of throws on third down that had, had they been just a tiny bit more accurate, it would have been an, a, an escape artist type of play. And it would have been a first down. Uh, I think that Dan Ellington himself, of course the entire Georgia State team gets credit for this win, but Dan Ellington really showed out today. Uh, and I think he really, he really proved to a lot of his doubters that he had last season that he is not here to mess around. He said before the season started, he wants to be the Sun Belt Player of the Year. He's off to a great start with that. I, I think that play by itself could be the play that defines his college career. Uh, I, I and I've I've seen Dan, Dan Ellington do some amazing things before, but that play right there, doing that to an SEC opponent, because I mean, you made an SEC safety miss. Like let let's uh, let's start there. And found your way into the end zone. And he was making plays on third down. He didn't let the crowd affect him. He was ready for this game. And you can only go as far as your starting quarterback takes you, some people say. Um, I'm more of those football is a team sport and sometimes your defense can carry you. But Dan Ellington, I think he really led this team today. I think him leading those drives fired up the defense defense. And you just got to tip your hat to them. That's all you can do at this point because the game's over. You got to move past it. Tennessee probably won't see Georgia State again. You probably definitely time. definitely won't see Dan Ellington again. So, uh, yeah, just tip your hat to him and just say, hey, congrats, you got the win. But it's time to move on for Tennessee. I understand this sucks, but y- you have to. You got to accept it. You got to swallow it. You got to move on. And that's kind of what J.G. was saying in his presser.
0: Yeah, Ellington certainly looked like a guy that could make some noise in Sunbelt play. Georgia State went 2-10 and last year, off to a much, much better start this season. And we should mention, this was a bye game. Tennessee is going to have to pay Georgia State $950,000 for getting their butts whooped at Neyland Stadium.
1: Yeah, uh, Tennessee may or may not know it, but they just paid off Georgia State Stadium. And yeah, they lost. And that's... That's always a little bit embarrassing to, to have to cut that check and not get that what's supposed to be a free win. It, it's, it's kind of a, a really rough situation. I mean, a lot of us had Tennessee going six and six, seven and five, Some had eight and four if it was going to be that type of a season. But this loss, to me, just scrambles all of those predictions up, and who knows? I mean, there's people who went from we're going seven and five, and now they believe four and eight. There's people who think Tennessee's probably not going to win another game, which I think is a little bit extreme, but losing to Georgia State does. I mean, it messes with the heads of a lot of people.
0: Yeah, it certainly sends the alarm bells ringing in Knoxville when you lose to, to Georgia State when it's you know the first time you've lost uh, a, to a non-Power 5 team at home since 2008. And, got yeah, BYU coming in next week, and you've got – two chances here and these first three games were the three games that well excluding the BYU game, it was Georgia State, Chattanooga and UAB where people said those are the guaranteed wins. Guaranteed wins for Tennessee. You know they're gonna win those and then can they pick up a couple more? So one of those guaranteed wins is now a loss and to start the season. So certainly high alert level for Tennessee fans. What can Tennessee do in this next week? What can they fix to get back on the right track against BYU?
1: They've got to find a starting five on the offensive line, and they need to have those guys play together, take all the first-team reps together. They need to communicate with each other and get used to each other. That's what they, I mean, they'll, they'll, That should have been identified during the offseason, during fall camp. That should have all been identified. That's not something that you should say, oh, we need to fix that after the first game, especially when you've got some pressure on you now because you've lost this first game. You've got to figure out who's going to be starting for you up front and stay there. they also got to get healthy. They've got to get Daniel Batuli back. we got to see how those guys were shaken. up. Um, we talked about Schamburger being shaken up. Let's see if they, you know, they're okay after some evaluation. Um, also, I think the game plan needs to be opened up a little bit. We saw a lot of situations, and this was Jim Chaney's problem at Georgia, running the ball when they didn't need to run the ball. You're running a two-minute drill before the first half ends, and you run three straight run plays. Or four straight, actually. You're just running the ball over and over and over again. And I understand at Georgia it did work. They came back in the Rose Bowl because of running, but that was Nick Chubb and Sony Michelle. Nick Chubb and Sony Michelle are in the NFL, and none of those guys at Tennessee are on that level of Chubb and Michelle. The last one who looked like that was Kamara, and Kamara is well into the NFL as well. So... I get what Cheney's mindset is with the whole we're going to run the ball and it might surprise the defense. But if you've got to drive the field in two minutes, you've got to figure that out. They've got to open the playbook up, and you've got to get the ball into the hands of your playmakers. Jawan Jennings had a lot of catches, breaking tackles, and then getting that rack yardage, that run after catch. You've got to give him the ball in space. You have to give him that ability to do that. Marquez Calloway can sometimes, uh, he can he can break it free if he goes deep. Use that. And then underneath, you've got Wood Anderson. Go to him. And don't wait until third down to do these things. You could spread a defense out just like Georgia State did to you today. All of those things, that's just a start. Because honestly, BYU's not good. The loss to Utah that they had was pretty ugly. But BYU is better than Georgia State. And Tennessee just lost to Georgia State. So they have to to figure those things out at first to me. And then I think some of the other stuff that we were talking about may fall into place.
0: Yeah, I think that's a a good point with the the play calling on offense. You know, with Jeremy Pruitt, I think Tennessee wants to be this, you know, what Alabama was several years ago, a, a defensive team that relies on its defense ball control on offense, can pound it at you, can can pick up a, you know, a third and one at any time when everyone in the stadium knows that you're running. But they're not that. They're, they're not going to be that this year. I don't know if they're e- even going to be capable of being that next year. So they've got to figure out something else that works. You're not going to be able to just line up and blow people off the ball and, and run it three, four times in a row. You're going to have to, like you said, find a way to get the ball in the hands of your playmakers. You've got your four senior receivers. You've got your Dominic Wood Anderson at tight end. You can find a way to get Ty Chandler and Eric Gray you know, into the open field in the passing game, so you got to change things up there. And then defensively, you've got to figure out why these guys can't get lined up cor- correctly. Like, is it the way the coaches are teaching it? Do they or are there certain schemes that they need to take away? Pruitt had said that. One time when he was in Alabama when he had an outstanding defense, defense probably the best defense in the country that year, there was one game where they played one call the entire game. They they ran one play on defense the entire game in Alabama, and he said sometimes maybe you've got to do that to make sure that you can execute that one play properly because what's the point in calling an exotic play if you can't even get lined up correctly to run it? So they've got to figure out what can their guys do, what are their guys comfortable doing, what can they do well, and they've got to be able to run those things and then figure out who some of their best guys are especially on the offensive and defensive lines who they need to throw out there right away okay so moving on towards later on in the season David you you and Lewis had made your predictions you, you said seven and five would you change anything right now would you would you amend your prediction
1: yeah and you know what I was just talking to Lewis about this and and we agreed again I think you've got to take away well the Georgia State game is already an L I think because of what we saw today because we're talking about things that should have been addressed in the off season and in fall camp. Know who your starters are, know what your guys can do so that way you can fit the game plan around them. That should have already been established. We we shouldn't be having this conversation going into week two of the college football season. I think because of that, there's going to be another game, probably South Carolina, even though Lewis already had them losing South Carolina It could be Kentucky it could be Mizzou. And honestly, it could be Mississippi State. But there's going to be one of those games where they just they're going to drop that game. They're going to drop that game. And they might end up I have them going five and seven now. Because you've already lost to Georgia State. I think that you've got one extra loss coming because of this. Five and seven, which means missing a bowl game, which is unfortunate. But it we never know. I mean, football Football is weird. College football is weird. Sometimes a team needs this to wake up and immediately become dominant. But there's a lot of discouraging things that I saw out there on the football field, and I I have 5-7, and Um, and that's me being generous because if they have another outing like this, they might not beat BYU.
0: Yeah, I'll take you through kind of my thought process on what my – season prediction was and things like that you know I'm a Tennessee alum so maybe and I'm an optimistic guy in general so coming into the off season, you know I was sort of in like maybe some more optimistic fans in the you know eight and four sounds kind of reasonable camp you know I thought that uh you know Jeremy Pruitt had formed some better relationships with his players maybe that would help they had a lot of guys coming back I'm a big believer in Jared Garantano. still am a believer in Garantano. I thought you know, there's no way they could be worse than 5-7 and seven last year. That was kind of my thinking coming into fall camp. Fall camp comes along. I start to, you know, you hear Jeremy Pruitt talk. You kind of look at what's going on, on on the defensive line, on the offensive line. And then I started to get a little bit of a reality check. Like, look, this is the SEC. You have to be good on the line of scrimmage, on the offensive line, on the defensive line, or you're going to get beat. And so then I started to walk it back a little. I never made my official prediction at 8-4. and four. I said, you know what? seven and five is the best i think maybe six and six i'm thinking more something like that and then you know after today i'm not i'm not going to say anything yet i'm not going to change anything until i see what they do against byu but certainly discouraging today and and you could you know i think people were kind of coming into the season thinking that a bowl game was almost a given that they had to get back to a bowl game they're gonna have to fight to get back to a bowl game this year it looks like
1: yeah that's that's kind of unfortunate i i think that uh Tennessee was due for a bowl appearance this season. And now, I'm not too sure. I'm just, I'm not too sure about that. It's it's not a thought that I, that I think, it's not something I thought I'd be thinking about after week one. I did not think I'd be sitting here saying, okay, what should Tennessee do now that they've been beaten by Georgia State? This was not a game-winning field goal. It was not a... Blocked field goal, or they just made a mistake. At, no, Georgia State. They
0: were soundly beaten. By
1: they Georgia were State. soundly beaten. by Georgia State was winning the game by 15 points late in the fourth quarter. Had it not been for that garbage time touchdown, that is a 38-23 final, which would have been a really – I mean, it's, it's a stain. Losing this game is a stain by itself. But a 38-23 loss at home is a huge – permanent stain on what is going on with this Tennessee football program at this in this era of Jeremy Pruitt also Derek Ansley we he's calling the plays now on defense so Pruitt can just manage the game your first time out there a team just put up 38 points on you 38 points on you that's not good that it's just it's not good i this is, this is a, a point of Tennessee football I didn't think I, w- I would have to address right now. So it's, it's just discouraging, just disappointing. It's all of these things, and I didn't think we would be here right now. But here we are. That happened.
0: Last thing, David, this is your, your first football season here in Knoxville. You talked about it in our Know Your Foe segment earlier in the week. You are a Georgia State alum. I think you've done a pretty good job all this week keeping it right down the middle, being an objective journalist. I don't think you let your your uh, alma mater affect you much at all, but tell me what it was like for you today. Your, your first time inside Neyland Stadium, your alma mater beats Tennessee. What was that like standing on the sidelines seeing that?
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm, I am a proud alum. I, I mean, I'm not going to sit here and hide that. I graduated from Georgia State. I covered their football team. I was at their historic moments. I was there when I was there for their last game in the Georgia Dome. And they beat Georgia Southern. They ended up going to the Cure Bowl. They um I remember they lost that game to San Jose State and that was very that was a heartbreaking loss. Then they went back two years later and beat Western Kentucky and that felt great. That felt great. This right here, all I can say is I, I am proud of what Georgia State did today. Not so much because, I oh, I'm proud because they just beat Tennessee. No, it's this program has done so much to try to be relevant. They didn't exist 12, 12 years ago. They weren't playing football 12 years ago because they announced that the team would happen in 2008, but they weren't even playing football until 2010. They were sharing the Georgia Dome with the Falcons, which was pretty bad because the Falcons, their old stadium sat over 70,000 people. Georgia State was lucky to get 25,000 people. And so even when the game would be pretty packed and still loud, that's only a third of that stadium. So then Georgia State gets their own stadium, and they're trying to do their best to make people say, hey, this is a real football program. They're legit. They're trying to get recruits. They're in the middle of Atlanta. And, yeah, they're mid-major, but they're, they're trying to make some noise. Sean Elliott came in, and he said it was going to be a new era. He said things were going to change. And his first season, he won that bowl game versus Western Kentucky, and now he's got the biggest win in program history on his resume because that's his team that went out there and and beat Tennessee on the road. So the excitement on the players' faces, the fans that were there, the family, um, Ed Kearney, one of the players on defense, uh, his, his baby, like newborn babies there, they're excited, and they should be. And as an alum, I am proud of them. And I'm not I'm not going to hide that, but I think that going forward, what what Georgia State is able to do in terms of recruiting, winning, producing, all of that, that's that's how I know that they got the payoff. The money's fine cuz now the stadium is paid off. But now what? Will they get a four-star recruit? Will they get a five-star recruit to transfer? That's going to be what what the real victory is going forward, because this victory is great. It's great for the program. It's national news. Everyone in uh, local media in Atlanta's talking about it. I'm happy for them, and I know it's going to be crazy on campus when they get back, but uh, I want to see what Georgia State does going forward, because don't let this happen and then get to Sunbelt play and think, well, we're the big bad guys who beat Tennessee, and then you, you know, you just put a target on your back by doing this. So let's see what they do. The biggest
0: thing is beating Georgia Southern, though, always. Just beat them. Certainly could be a program-launching win for Georgia State. On the flip side, for Tennessee, a lot of people thought that Rock Bottom was losing to Vanderbilt at Neyland Stadium to seal the first eight-loss season in Tennessee history, the worst season in Tennessee history back in 2017. But we may not have seen Rock Bottom yet after a 38-30 loss to Georgia State at home in the 2019 season opener. We'll see what the Vols do next week against BYU. You can follow along with coverage all week long on wbr.com And on Channel 10, we'll bring you Jeremy Pruitt's press conference on Monday at noon. We'll break down this game on film study on Tuesday at 11, and we'll have more coverage for you throughout the week. And then, of course, the game next Saturday, 7 o'clock kickoff against BYU. Have a great week, everybody.